Welcome to Model Minority Moms, where we talk about the meaning of success in career, family, and life. We are Jeanette Park, Kate Wong, and Susan Liu, Harvard classmates and Asian American working moms who get real about the pressures of fitting in while standing out. Greetings, greetings. Welcome to another episode of Model Minority Moms. Today's episode is called Losing and Getting Help. And as becoming parents, what you don't realize is that you're expected to do it all and you just can't. You thought you were just signing up to become a parent, but you're also suddenly an employer and managing different relationships so that your kids can be fed and safe, but then also you can work. But as we've seen many, many times, moms continue to get judged during the entire process. So we thought it would be kind of cool to talk about what's not said about the idea of getting help. And first to kick it all off, I want to talk to the audience about what happened in our real lives where we're like, we need to talk about this. Jenna, do you want to kick it off with when you lost help? Yeah. So I think we started talking about doing this episode when Kate and I were both going through transitions in terms of the types of support we get for our families. So for me, I had an au pair living with us for a year, and she recently left kind of in the beginning of the fall. So our setup for the year when she was with us is that, you know, both of my kids were in full-time daycare. And, you know, I'm just going to be straight open with this because even people are saying this, I feel like I have to caveat it because some people might feel like, oh, wow, that's actually like a lot of help that you're paying for. Or some people might say, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. I don't know. But I feel like I have to caveat it in some way just to cushion the emotional impact or the judgmental impact. But this was our setup. We had full-time daycare for both of our kids. And we had this au pair living with us who basically her duties included in the morning, helping prepare breakfast for the kids, just being like an extra pair of hands in terms of getting them ready for school and also cleaning up after breakfast. So before we had this person, you know, I would get them ready for school, which in itself was a big task, and then getting them out the door, dropping them off. But then I would come home and I would have to spend another at least 30 minutes tidying up the kitchen, cleaning up all the stickiness and all the crumbs, you know, from their croissants and everything from breakfast, getting the dishwasher going. That looked that at least took 30 minutes, right? And I think as many of our listeners can relate, when you become a parent, your number of hours that you have without your kids are so precious and compressed that just even 30 minutes to an hour every day just being taken away, that's a lot. So she helped us with that. So when I got the kids in the car and I drove them to school, she was cleaning up after the kids' breakfast mess. And then in the afternoon, she would do the kids' laundry. So she would run the kids' laundry. She would fold it, put it away. She would tidy up the kids' rooms. And she would make after-school snacks for the kids, which I would take. I would go pick them up, and then I would bring them back. And then she would have some time with the kids when she was like playing with them, watching a little bit of TV with them while I got dinner together. And then she would have dinner with us. And then after dinner was done. My husband and I, if he wasn't traveling for work, we would get the kids ready for bed and she would do the kids dinner cleanup plus a little bit more. You know, I would also ask her to help with just kind of the general post-dinner cleanup. And on top of this, she would also babysit for us probably like two times a month. So my husband and I would take some date lunches over the weekend and she would have some babysitting time because for the au pair program you could ask them to do anything that's child related and so she would do you know a lot of the logistical work related to the kids plus she was our main babysitter sometimes there would be a few occasions where jake would be traveling but then ruth she went through this period where she was throwing up a lot so then i would just go and knock on her door and be like can you just please help grab some towels and grab trash bags so just to have like an extra pair of hands when the kind of crisis moment struck was very helpful. So that is the role she played for our family. I think we actually did an au pair episode before. So if you guys are interested in hearing more about that, feel free to go listen to that episode. So the program, you can ask the au pair to work up to 45 hours a week, but she was working significantly less than that, I would say, for our family. But for us, it made sense and was one of the better options for what we could do at this stage of the age of kids, which was, you know, for most of her stay, Ruth was two years old and Isaiah was four. So they were still quite young. But yeah, we had talked about extension, but I would say there were some friction as I think it's probably normal to have with somebody living in your home. I think her strengths were really around spending time with the kids, but 
I also just needed help more on the logistical side. I think what I wanted to do was a lot of the hands-on care with the kids. Like I wanted to be the one present with them, mostly for their day-to-day. I was more interested in outsourcing the behind-the-scenes stuff. And I think that didn't necessarily align that well with what her preferences were and her strengths. As well, there were some like day-to-day friction of just, like I said, having somebody living in your house. But overall, I think it was like actually a pretty good year. But we did decide that she wouldn't extend with us. And she ended up finding another family for her second year of her au pair program. Yeah, fast forward to the end of the fall and she left. And I kind of made, I, I think in hindsight, a mistake. I didn't really think about what was going to happen with the workload she was carrying. And so I was thinking we would find somebody to still help us with various things around the house, but somebody who would not live with us. But I didn't line up that person before she left. So there was this period of maybe two months when Isaiah had both shorter hours because he was like now in kindergarten instead of daycare. And I was the one doing the post-breakfast cleanup, the after-dinner cleanup, the kids' laundry, and we moved. So there was just a lot of family-related workload that was now on me. And I think, um, again, I am kind of bracing for various types of judgment or emotional reactions from people listening to this. But for me, I think that was a mistake. I think I should have tried to line up somebody sooner because it like really what ends up happening is then you are crushed with work and you have no time for anything, including looking for somebody to help you. So it's like, you're so caught up in, oh, I have to run the dishwasher. Oh, that doorknob is sticky. The car looks like a trash can. You know, I like everything's in boxes and I just have to like get through the day to day that you have no margin to actually even look for that person who's going to help you. So I would have preferred to do it differently looking back. And of course, Jake, we can talk about this too, because it gets to like the gender differences around looking for household help. Because Jake, like a month before our au pair left, he was like, you need to start looking for somebody. Um, A different discussion why it was on me to look for somebody. But he was like, we need to look for somebody to be online when our au pair leaves. I was like, it's going to be fine. I don't know. Like I had this kind of hang up around finding another person because I think it just generally goes to the little bit of a hang up and self-consciousness I have about having a lot, what I feel like is a lot of help around the house. But now... Looking back, I should have just done what Jake suggested, which is when I had the capacity, I should have spent that time looking for somebody who could have been helping me. So I wasn't in this pit for two months where I was dying every day. And I want to acknowledge that is the reality for many parents because maybe financially it's not an option to get help. And I know I grew up in that environment where my, my mom, she did not, it was not an option for our family to get any kind of help. Um, and every day is just like that kind of like, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. But I think that if it is an option to financially have the bandwidth to get help and for our family, fortunately right now it is, I should have just gotten it because I would have been in a better mental, emotional space. My work outside of the family would have taken less of a hit. So yes, that was like the last year plus two months. Yeah, I mean, you're like spelling out everything that you were doing, then she's doing. And then I'm sitting there just thinking about your work, you know, and this company that you're building right now. And it seems so simple. I'm just going to clean up after breakfast and then I'll get to work. But decision fatigue is real. And when you wake up in the morning, there's so many things that we need to do to manage our kids to get them out the door that it's just like the tank gets depleted. You know what oh, I yeah. mean? Oh, yeah. And I feel like it's never just clean up after breakfast. Once you're in the kitchen, you notice, oh, like that pan from two nights ago that I cooked in that I haven't put away or that thing that I have to put away in the Tupperware. Like whenever I'm in the kitchen, I just start noticing things that just need to get done. And then it just starts snowballing. Like it just never yeah. becomes just clean up the high chairs. All of a sudden, there's 10 other things that I also <laughs> should do. Or even if I leave the kitchen, if those things are just still weighing on my mind. I, I don't know. Maybe this is a separate episode. We'll see where this conversation goes. But if I could have somebody helping with the more routine tasks of every day, then I have more bandwidth to actually look around and do the more ad hoc stuff. You know what I mean? Like the things that maybe are not occurring like every day, but it's always on my mind like, oh, I should do that. But I just never have the time or energy to do it. I actually start having more space for that. And those things actually start getting done. But those things don't get done if all my time is just spent up on the daily stuff. I have a question for you. When you did have your au pair, all right, so Mm -hmm. both your kids are in daycare and then you got this au pair is doing supplementary help. Did you feel like 
I can be like Peggy Bundy from Living with Children and eat bonbons and watch TV. Like, who's Peggy Bundy? Is that like from uh, Married with Children? Yeah, yeah. Was their family like that? I thought they have older two teenage children. Oh, well, that's probably the difference for kids were teens. But she had time to watch TV and eat candy. I'm saying once you did get this help, did you feel relaxed and relieved and that you had time to care for yourself? Did you feel like you weren't just treading water at that point is my question. I did feel like I wasn't just treading water. I still wasn't exercising on a regular basis, but I also didn't feel like my head was going to explode every day. Right. So it's not like I was quite back to my pre-kid self, but I also just didn't feel like I was dying every day. So that's kind of where I was, right? And so, yeah, I feel like sometimes I would ask myself these questions like, okay, I'm paying for full-time childcare for both of my kids and I'm paying for this person to help with other things. Yet I don't have time to exercise and I still feel like every day I'm just still running. The other thing that happens though, when you bring people on, let's say you spend three hours a day on housework or house-related things, right? And you bring somebody on and they're going to do two hours of that work. You don't just get two hours back, okay? You probably get an hour and a half back because there's time in interacting with that person, setting them up so they can do their work, payroll, reimbursement. And all of this is going to sound like more money, more problem type things. But to me, it was a learning that I had to go through as I realized I actually needed more help and I needed some of that was going to be people that I was going to pay what I realized is if I had the expectation that this person's going to be doing the two hours of work that I do every day, I don't get two hours back. I get something between an hour and a half and maybe an hour and 45 minutes back per day. And there's other things too that are going to be a little bit different than you doing it yourself. There's the communication because that person doesn't know your household like you do. So you have to think and communicate and give specific directions for what you would like them to do. Quality control. Yeah, all of that stuff takes time. So you're not going to get two hours back. You're going to get an hour and a half back, even though you are paying for two hours. Yeah. All of this so resonates with me, Jeanette, because I think there's also a component of which people don't talk about very often. And I have experienced so deeply myself in working with a lot of care providers. There's also this emotional aspect of managing the relationships. I don't know if this because I've only ever hired basically Chinese people. Maybe this is something that's very cultural, but there is this like thing, even if you hire someone, there is a management of an emotional relationship there. And whoever is managing that care provider is the one managing that emotional relationship, which is me because I speak Chinese and I'm the one providing her, which I guess now is maybe like a good time to segue over to that. But I just really feel everything Jeanette just said. Yeah, I want to get to you, Kate. Yeah. I will just add one more thing, which I think might just be good context later on in the conversation, which is. The other types of care I've also kind of had is my mom, right, who lived oh, right. with us for a number of years and provided a good amount of child care for both of my kids. Well, for Isaiah, for his first year of life and for Ruth, say like the first four months. So I've had a shared nanny. I've had daycare and I've also had household support in various ways. So those are the range of different types of family and care support that I've had. And so I just wanted to give that because I think also family versus non-family, that has its own dynamics too. Yeah. And also own level, I feel like how people perceive that kind of help for you. So I just want to also flag that. But yes, Kate, you should talk about like how the last year has looked like for you because you also went through a major shift in care and household support for your family, right? Yes. Which is the other part of the reason that precipitated this conversation because we were experiencing it at the same time, me and Jeanette. So the background is that starting when Lila was two months. So we had a traditional Chinese postpartum nanny who was here, the same one we used for Raya. So for the first two months, Auntie Ya was here. She was great. She lived with us. And then after that, so in Chinese nannydom, there are two types of nannies. One is they only do the first three months postpartum, specializing in newborns. And the others take over after that, right? And we hired one through an agency to live with us because it's actually cheaper. You know, they have a daily rate and they all want to work like six days a week, at least, right? Like, it's weird. None of them want to take breaks because they're like, we have nowhere to go. So she lived with us. You know, looking back on it now that I've had two and some months change, I still think she was the right decision for us. But, you know, that year, and of course, I know we're very privileged to be able to afford to have a nanny come live with us. But like I was mentioning earlier, there is this huge, at least in Chinese culture, this like, for me, I feel keenly this sense of responsibility when I have someone live in my home. I mean, this lady, she's not like a kid. She's 50. But, you know, she just come to the U.S. and 
I felt like we had to look after her. Also, she had a lot of things that she needed to establish in the U.S., like bank accounts, things like that. She doesn't really have the English level to do that. And so, of course, Nerev doesn't speak Chinese. So on top of she did a wonderful job taking care of our daughter and she also would cook dinner. But like I also spent a lot of my time paying for her cell phone bills, figuring out how to get her a bank account, you know, answering her questions and helping her sort through so many things, which is fine. So drive her to the dentist. Yes, I did. The first dental appointment I drove her to because, you know, she had a lot of teeth issues. After that, she started taking the bus, right? But like the first couple times I like drove her, I was her translator, her English got better and she's pretty good about that. But yes, you're right, Susan, you remember. Like there were a lot of these instances, right? Again, it sounds like I'm complaining, I'm not. I'm just stating a fact, which is that I feel a sense of responsibility, but also this person needed things to be done and she's living with us. Who else is gonna help her with it? And so that took up quite a bit of time. And I kind of did tell Nirav, I was like, hey, you know, it's not just like we have this person living in the house, we pay her and then she takes care of our kid. There's this quid pro quo unspoken, like culturally and otherwise. And also on the other aspect, emotionally, as Jeanette mentioned, having someone live in your home, there are also dynamics there, right? And in general, our nanny was pretty good, but personalities will clash, especially for me. I was so sleep deprived. If you guys remember on only two to three hour increments of sleep for the first 15 months of Leela's life, right? And we had a few arguments. One time earlier on, she like threatened to leave or whatever. Anyway, we made up. <sighs> you know, it's just adults can be also children. And so there was that aspect. I think I told you guys, I kind of, people make comments. Any kind of person, your parents, random people make comments about your kids. Even nannies, good nannies will make comments where you're like, I don't agree with you on that. But you can't talk back to your nanny every time she makes a comment you don't agree with. So you suck it up. Because you're paying this person, you need this person, you don't want this person to leave. Wait, 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 wait. Do you think that you sucked it up a little bit more because in a way she's older than you, so she's in a way an elder? That's a good question. That is a great question. No, not because she's older, but because I knew that the market favored the nannies. There were a lot of families who wanted someone and she was very good. And she knew she was very good, right? That's the other thing. I don't want to compare, but I think in terms of her ability to like take care of children and to really be like educational, expose them to all the things that I was in favor of that I would do. She's the closest match I've ever seen in a nanny. Right. So for me as a mom, that's a sacrifice that I made. I told Nerf multiple times. She'll say stuff that I don't like necessarily. She's not doing it to be mean. It's just people will say stuff. Right. They can't help themselves. Can you give me an example? OK, so she took care of Leela primarily. Right. And so she would love to say, oh, Leela's like this. She's so good at this. And then. Raya was going through, if you guys remember, like some two-year-old, three-year-old, yeah. you know, tantruming at that time. And so she would make certain comments that were sort of implying that Raya was not, Leela was just like better than Raya. She never said that explicitly, but come on, you're not, you don't have to be like smart to realize that she was kind of making that implicit comparison, which yeah. is bothersome to a parent, right? But it made sense too, because she was the one taking care of Leela. Uh, and she was really nice to Raya, but she would just make comments like, oh, you know, like this is the biggest one. And this led to our later final blow up, which I'll go into, which is that she would say, oh, you know, like nature versus nurture. Nurture is so important. You know, that's what determines how like you become. And she, you know, Ryan Leela are so different because, you know, Raya got taken care of at home by her family. Um, oh, so she's saying she's saying, yo, you did a bad job. Look at what I did. Well, that's one step away from saying that. Exactly. But she didn't say any of this maliciously. Nerev would say, come on, just give her passion. She needs to feel good about herself. Right. Because how else are you supposed to feel like that she's succeeding. I'm like, okay, fine. So I sucked it up so much. Can you, but you imagine hearing comments like this every week for a year and a Well, and it's also exhausting because you're receiving it in the moment and thinking about it. Yes. And then you kind of want support around it. So then you retranslate it and re-experience it with your husband. Yes. So it's like you do it twice to figure out then how do I be strategic about it? But really... Because you're the only one who's speaking Chinese. It's not like he is taking on any of that labor in the moment or like. Correct. There's so much. All the labor was me, right? Communicating right. with her, all this stuff. And I want to take a step back and say, hey, this is a choice that I made, right? I wanted a Chinese nanny and I hired her to take care of our kit. That was her main job. And she was so good at it. Could I have fired her and found somebody else? Yes. But I also realized there's no perfect yeah. person, right? Like you could bring on somebody else, but I felt like I could tolerate. I thought well, I could. Can I also just say that getting help with childcare versus like getting help with things that are not directly like in the person's not in relationship with your kid, they're kind of different. For yes. me, I think the other thing that makes me more hesitant sometimes to give feedback to my childcare providers in the past, I'm pretty happy with the folks that we have kind of in our quote unquote village now. 
But like that person is spending so much time with your kid where you're not there. It's a very trust-based relationship, but also you don't want to upset them. Yes. Right? Because they are taking care of your kid. And, you know, relationships are not just about the things that you do. Like, do you give them milk? It's all the nuances of the nonverbal communication. And I didn't want them to have this negative vibe around my kid. So it's like, you have to pick and choose your battles. Or is this worth upsetting this person? Because if you're not prepared to break off the relationship, if this is not a non-negotiable, maybe it's better just to eat it because you don't want this person to be upset. You don't want them to be in a bad mood when they're with your kid, right? And so I think there's that dynamic of it. One other thing I'll also mention is that your kid then forms a relationship with this person and you don't want to be cycling through nannies or caregivers, right? Yes. You want them to have a long-term, stable, positive relationship with this person. So yeah, there is that kind of emotional labor of, okay, well, maybe this person just needs to say this thing to me and I don't agree with it, but yeah, I'm going to yeah. eat it because for my child, this is the best option right now for me to also be mentally sane, be able to do my work, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so these are the calculations that I feel like I was always making in my head. I totally agree with that. And I think no one tells you that, right? When you are thinking about care providers for your kids as a new parent, you just think I find a good one and then it's good. And I have had friends who seem to just only rave about their nannies or babysitters or whomever. And I'm sure those people exist. But I think understand that every parent is different. People's sensitivity levels to what other people say is different. Like maybe I'm just more sensitive to certain nuances. Also, my Chinese is really good compared to a lot of my other Chinese American friends who have Chinese nannies. I understand everything. Yeah, you are understanding all the nuance. Like if it's like a backhanded compliment, you are understanding that it is a backhanded compliment. Exactly. Right? It's yeah. a blessing and a curse, my fluency in Chinese. So I wonder if some of my other Chinese American <laughs> friends who listen to this podcast and maybe have had Chinese nannies, like maybe they kind of miss something, you know, yeah, which is possible. good for them because they're not bothered by it. But I know. So it bothers me. Anyway, I, I totally agree with everything Jeanette said. And so, look, I pick and chose my battles. At the end of the day, she did such a wonderful job with Leela. Like she truly cared for Leela. That's something I really deeply appreciate as a mom, that I could see that her affection and Nerve could see it too. He'll spy on them sometimes when they're hanging out, like weirdly spy, like he's just upstairs and he looks downstairs and he sees them together. Because he always wanted to assure me that, you know, there is trust there. Like she is taking care of Leela and is very loving. You know, all good things must come to an end. And we sent Raya to daycare when she was one and a half. And I feel like, I don't know, I felt like I needed to give the same treatment to Leela because, you know, and and I felt like she's pretty advanced for her age. So originally we were thinking we were going to ask our nanny, ask her to stay on to see if she wanted to, you know, maybe do mornings and then evenings so she could go to school or learn English and stuff during the day. And originally she agreed, but then we had basically yet another final argument over all the things that I just mentioned before. But I got mad at her because she was, I felt she was making implications. And then she basically got sulky and was like, I'm leaving, you know, I'm not going to say, don't worry, I'll stay until Leela goes to daycare, but I'm going to go back to LA for all these other reasons. And At first, I felt kind of guilty. Like, did I like cause her to leave? But I also told her, I was like, I think I need this for my mental health. I like her actually as a person. I feel like maybe we could have been friends if we weren't in this employer employee, like strange context, right? Like where, like Jeanette said, you can't really give the feedback. You're not really friends per se, but she's not really a family member, but like it's closer than an actual employee that you would have at a company. (laughs) It was just very weird. It is an intimate relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And you remember, you guys thought it was weird that I like had a meltdown after she left after all this, you know, even though I was really stressed out by her toward the end. But I had a sense of loss. Like I dropped her off at the Amtrak station. I just had a meltdown and she saw it. She's like, she hugged me. She's like, you need to take care of yourself. She's like, you work too hard as a mom. I've seen all the sacrifices that you make. Anyway, so I just like an utter meltdown. I was like ugly crying on the way home Mm. and being like, hello, Jess. But I knew, I think, Because we had said goodbye to different caregivers, I knew that we would adjust. It's just in the moment you have to feel your feels. Even if you know it's the right decision to let someone go or to make a transition, you can still feel sad about it. I don't know. I mean, I think having young kids, it's so overwhelming. And then I think in many ways, your pregnancy and first year of life with Lilo was more difficult than average. Yes, of course, this person was kind of, there was interactions that were irritating on a daily basis, but then also she was helping keep you afloat in other ways and she was leaving, you know, and that's yeah. very devastating. I think that's hard because you're like going to go back into this huge raging ocean of being like a parent of very young kids. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. And then I think to what you said earlier, Jeanette, about you wish you had maybe found backup care before 
the transition was made. I think as soon as we realized that our nanny wasn't going to stay, I told Nairba, I was like, I got to line up care like three deep. So I immediately reached out to my network of like Chinese nannies, babysitters, whatevers. And then I contacted Jeanette because, you know, Jeanette has a company that provides household assistance. And I pulled Nairab flat out. I was like, hey, you're going to have to step up. Here are the ways I need you to step up. So we arranged that he would always make breakfast so that I wouldn't be in a rush in the morning. I do drop off. He does pick up. And then we arranged that I would outsource a lot of the things that our nanny had been doing to Jeanette's company and that we would hire a regularly occurring babysitter on weekends and find backup care three deep just in case. Because also my mom, who lives near us, she was going back to China for the first time since COVID for like multiple months. And she'd be doing that regularly from now on. So we couldn't really rely on her coming over to help anymore. And I knew you have to go three deep because people have their own lives. Shit happens. And like all kinds of stuff. So I feel like I pat myself on the back this time for like having made those arrangements. That's good. Yeah, I should have just done that. We could talk about why I didn't do that. It's not like very rational, you know? You know why I felt like I needed to do it? Because, how do I say this in a way that doesn't make my husband look bad? I think because our nanny had lived with us and did so much. You know, she washed the dishes, she filled the dishwasher. I knew that over the course of time, Nirav had been deconditioned to do some of the domestic stuff that he used to do when we didn't have a nanny live with us. Does that make sense? And when someone is deconditioned, they're not going to just pick it up like that. And a lot of our arguments revolve around me like nagging him to put his dishes in the dishwasher. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't really want to get into that again anyway. So there was that component of it too that I knew. I had observed and I was like, I don't want to, I, ca- oh, I can't right. just step up for him too, you know? Like yeah. I have the holes that she left that I have to fill, but then there's also the holes that he really should be filling because he's a grown-ass adult but maybe he hasn't been doing it because somebody else has been doing it for him. So I have to make sure that's covered too. I'll just kind of say, I feel like this could also be its own branch of this conversation, right? Which is just, you know, you and your partner, the way you manage childcare and household responsibilities. There's so much conversation right now about sharing the load more equally or equitably between the two people. And I think that's a very important conversation. But I also feel like what is a little bit missing is that Depending on the type of work each of one or both people do, sometimes it might not even be possible. There might actually be like the number of kids you have, the ages they are, like if they have any special needs or not, it might not even be possible for two people to hold down a full-time job and take care of kids outside of school or care arrangements and keep the house in a reasonable state. Yes. There's a possibility that there's too much work for that. Yeah. The constraints that you have. So there's the idea of like, you guys could both be burnt out and feel overwhelmed by just trying to keep up with things. You know, and I think this is like part of why I'm working on this company. It's called Home HQ. And one of the services is kind of more like a regular life maintenance type of support. So, you know, loading, unloading dishwashers, breaking down those Amazon boxes, doing post-breakfast cleanup, folding laundry, refilling toilet paper and soap. The things that all sound like they all take only a couple minutes or anywhere from, let's say, five to 20 minutes. But once you start tallying up all of that needs to get done, it really adds up. And there's a reason why, you know, you're like, squirting that hand wash thing and then saying, oh man, I still haven't filled that, but I need to go do this thing now. And then you come back two days later, you're still like, oh man, I haven't done this. And that thing just lives in your brain, just that additional mental burden of like your hundredth thing to do, right? And so I feel like people need a better option of getting support around that type of thing. So anyway, that's a little bit. I agree with that. And I think The service that Home HQ has provided has lightened a really big load in my life of all those things. I don't have to fold laundry anymore. And with two kids who are like playful and get their laundry so dirty, that's so huge that I don't have to fold laundry anymore. It is appealing because do you know, I went to my dryer this morning to get Art's blanket for daycare. And then the clothes actually weren't fully dry for for some reason. I don't know. And it smells moldy, like wet mold. Yeah. You kind of weigh like, should I put it back in the wash or can we just run the dryer. Yeah. And then even when I try to fold the clothes and say Art's home, he's not okay with folding clothes. And then he'll throw all the clothes after I'm done folding them. Yeah. And then I'm just like, why? (laughs) Like, why do I feel like it's so hard? I think what pre-kid Susan didn't understand is it's not just doing a task. It's doing a task while you're in a cyclone of like other (laughs) tasks. Yeah. It's like those game shows where you're trying to reach for the dollar bills and you're in the cyclone of the money. You actually can't reach for that much because it's 
in a cyclone. Anyways. Sorry, or you're like done with your work for that day and then you're coming to, into the kitchen to make dinner, but then you realize actually the kitchen's a fucking mess. So you budgeted maybe 40 minutes to make dinner, but instead of spending 40 minutes making dinner, you have to spend 15 or 20 minutes like cleaning up first. And then dinner is late. And so I've just kind of come to the piece of, okay, well, if something really changed in our lives and we have to do this ourselves, we would like rearrange things so that we could. And I'm sure it would be more stressful. But if I'm going to actually work on this company and I'm going to not feel like my brain is going to blow up every day and I'm going to be so irritated with Jake because I feel like he is not burnt out as me. So I feel annoyed with him. I just need something like this because that's the way... I'm going to feel like I actually can keep my head above water and like fucking look around at what's going on and be able to think, okay, this is a direction I need to go rather than just deal with the everyday shit that comes up. So wait, wait, Jeanette, you're saying I let my au pair go. And so my solution is I just started a company. Well, yeah. Help me. Yes. So now I'm a customer of my own company. Though I I do want to say she did prioritize finding assistance for me and other clients and she put herself last. Yeah. The irony. (laughs) The irony. Yes, the irony. But yeah, I mean, that's like its own thing. You know, obviously building something new has its own challenges. So anyway, my company, I'm very excited. I feel passionate about it. But yeah, it's also still a thing that I'm working on. This whole idea of making the household work And everything that goes into it more visible, I feel passionate about that because I feel like it is another one of these unrealistic expectations put on women. I feel like if you stack up like the time that it takes to actually put in like seven to eight hours at a job and then all the household work that needs to get done, even if you do have full-time childcare, the out-of-school childcare hours that need to happen, those things add up to more than the time you have available. I I made a list of all the things that I think parents do. Because you were like cooking, cleaning, laundry. And then you said it's being attentive to your child, like actually interacting with them. And then there's planning all the enrichment activities, if you're going to do that. Setting up social dates, like play dates, and just for the household in general, are we going to go on vacation, whatever. Um, Organizing your kids' birthday parties, taking them to other kids' birthday parties, bringing presents if presents are okay. Maybe then being a school helper or like whatever. I just went to my preschool's potluck yeah. and like yeah. bringing something and knowing to go. Marvin had no idea. I was like, so wait, are you coming back in time for that? He's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, do you read the notices yeah. on the door? Emails and replying to them from school. Am I the only one doing that? Anyways. And most of that, I think we talked about this in previous episode. I mean, most of that will really falls on one parent. And usually that parent is the mom. Right. And I feel like I thought about this, about how can you equitably distribute this? And I've come to the conclusion that for some things you really cannot. For example, let's take the buying of children's supplies. I feel like one person should be in charge of that because it's very hard to divide. You get the diapers. You're in charge of only buying the diapers. You're only in charge of buying the clothes. It makes sense that the person buying the diapers also buys the clothes. So I've come to the conclusion that some of this is really not like distributable. And again, it will probably fall mostly on one person. And usually that one person is the mom. But like Jeanette says, people don't see it as real work. So I've been telling everybody about how amazing Home HQ is. And you know, I have some friends who are dinks. Oh, no, not dinks. Sorry, they're double income. They have kids, but they can afford Home HQ. Okay. But they're like, why would you pay somebody to do stuff that you would just do yourself? I'm like, well, because I would like some time to take care of myself. Basically, like Jeanette said, not be pissed at my husband because he's not doing it. And, you know, the other stuff, right? It really got me thinking, like, I asked Nerva, I was like, wait, do they just not value their time? And he was like, yeah, I think Nerva and I are unusual in that we're happy to pay to get our own time back. Like, we prioritize that over pretty much anything else. It's just you guys are, like, rational. Because I yes. hear you and that makes sense. And then I always kind of like cringe a little yes. bit. Because he and I are very impatient people. Like, for example, we live oh. where we live because we don't like being stuck in traffic. Like, literally, we pick where we live. You're right <laughs> off the highway. Exactly. Right. And like, I will only live in very specific places. And people are just like, but why don't you want a bigger house for the same price or whatever? And I'm like, no, it's always been that way for us. Right. But I don't think that's the way for everyone. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It was just really interesting. And then one thing I noticed is a lot of moms, in real life and also on social media, how do I say this? I don't want to be judgmental. I just want to make an observation. I feel like they talk about all the labor that Jeanette was talking about, the real work. They make it out to be like 
I have to do this myself and I'm a martyr. And I'm specifically thinking of this pretty famous mommy blogger. She's been around for many years. She's Korean American. I don't want to give too many details, but she probably earns a lot of money. Like I know how much these influencers earn. They're easily earning like high six figures, mid high six figures, probably through her influencing. But a lot of her posts are kind of complaining about how she has to do all this laundry and she has to always pick up after her four kids. And it doesn't seem like she has any help. Maybe she does, but she never posts about having help like at home. But at the same time, she has, I don't know, a hundred designer bags, like Chanel, Hermes, all this other stuff. And I'm like, if I were you, I would sell some of those, you know, bags and buy myself some time and get some sleep so that I don't have to complain about how I have to do my kids' laundry. But like, I don't know why she doesn't do that, right? She can afford it. She's a smart woman. And so I feel like messages like that, like she's not directly telling people, hey, you have to like sacrifice. But the message that she's sending out to moms is you just have to suck it up. But hey, go take your money and buy like beautiful bags. And I'm like, this is Mm. wrong. This lady has like half a million followers. And there's so many women like her. So many on social media and in real life. Why, guys? Like, why? Well, I don't know. I mean, getting help, like a real person to help you versus going and buying a product is like, relatively expensive. I wouldn't say it's relatively expensive to buying like a luxury handbag, but getting in-person help is expensive, right? And so maybe for a lot of her followers is more relatable because that is maybe the reality for a lot of people who follow her account. But I think that also there is like a part of it where socially there's things that are more acceptable to spend money on versus... But can we talk about that? How is it more socially acceptable to spend, I don't know, $100,000 on an Hermes Kelly or Birkin bag. But those things cost a hundred thousand. Yeah. If it's crocodile oh skin. Oh. Yeah. If they start at what, like 50 something. Anyway, the starting price is already like in the five figures. And Chanel obviously upped their prices like a couple years ago. So it's like really crazy. Like their prices are now like starting at 5,000 instead of 3,000. But anyway, my point is, it's just so bizarre to me that we as women sometimes really undermine ourselves that somehow we've made it more socially acceptable to buy designer bags than to get help. Can we just sit with that for a minute? I mean, I think there's a lot of things associated with that. I don't know why it's like more acceptable to buy like a really expensive bag. I feel like people don't judge women as harshly, you know, for having a super expensive bag than having, for example, a nanny come with them on vacation and help out with the kids. So you and your husband could have some actual adult time on vacation, even though the two things probably I don't know why that is. It doesn't strike me as rational. I think it is cultural, right? There's like certain things that are more acceptable. Susan, do you have any insight into that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that when if I buy something super nice for myself, which is not at that price of $5,000, but when I buy something nice for myself, I go, I'm special. I'm deserving. Mm -hmm. I'm worth it. I get to have nice things. Like I'm allowed to have something for me. That's the intimate personal experience I have with buying myself something. And then the thing is, if you outsource for help, it means I'm not capable. I'm lazy. I don't care about my family. There's stuff around the ability. Like you're like less of a woman or less of a mom. Well, yeah. In terms of where is the shame coming from? That's my initial thought. Yeah. I mean, I also wonder if it has to do with the fact that for a lot of history, women actually didn't have a lot of options with what to do with their time. So they didn't really have an option of working outside or exercising or, you know, pursuing their hobbies or, you know, it's like the only like socially sanctioned use of their time was like taking care of house and children. And how do they get rewarded for that? Right. Like jewelry. Right. Like. Getting. A push gift. Getting a push gift, getting like a diamond tennis bracelet from your partner or being like, quote unquote, allowed to get like a super fancy handbag. So I wonder if some of it, if that's kind of where it comes from, where women were kind of pushed into the home and said, this is your sphere. You cannot leave this sphere. If you leave this sphere, you're bad. But oh, but if you do a good job in this sphere, we will give you these shiny things. And that's how you're rewarded. That's how you show that you are valued and special. But now you want somebody to like come do the things that you're supposed to do. And so that you could like go spend your time doing something else. Yeah, I do feel like there's more judgment around that. <laughs> it's so, this is very depressing to me. It's like, well, hopefully us having a conversation about it kind of helps shift norms a little bit. 
As I was um, starting HomeHQ, or even before I started, I actually talked to a couple of women, um, some of whom Susan introduced me to, of different entrepreneurs in Seattle who had actually done different things in this space, kind of related businesses. And one of them was kind of something similar to me, but it was like a different model. Anyway, her company also provided help with household-related tasks. One thing that she said to me was actually like her best source of clients were divorced dads. All of a sudden they realized... <laughs> And she was saying, even though moms probably also needed that help more, like working moms, working professional moms, mostly, to be honest, right? Like they needed the help more. They were just like much more reluctant. Or even if they got the help, they weren't telling their friends that they were doing this. Whereas divorced dads, they would tell all their fucking friends. Yeah. Because they're like, you know what's making my life easier right now? Yeah. There's no stigma about, hey, I am really drowning and underwater. So there's this great service that's like helping me. And I don't feel any hang up about telling you about it because it's making my life like work. Whereas like for moms, like we have this pressure of, oh, I can't actually tell other people that I need help to make my family life work. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. I think this is so funny. I, I actually love hearing about how hard it is to have extra help because for me, my situation has been completely different. We never hired anybody. We just had a home daycare across the street and we would send our kid there eight to five. And that's been his life until we went to preschool. And now I'm eligible for 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., but usually we do 8.30 to 5.30 or whatever. And I used to look at you two going, oh my God, you have all this extra help. Your life must be so much easier. I was like envious, you know, because I was like, oh man, if we did that, like, what would my life be like? But when I hear all this work around the management of it, and I'm like, oh my God, slash, I mean, Marvin does not like people in general, and he doesn't like people in his space, okay? So it wouldn't have worked anyways. Uh, actually, I mean, I did bring it up at one point. I was like, there's gotta be some agent auntie service that like comes in three to five hours a day, makes food and does all this stuff. And he's like, no, nobody in our space. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I was envious of both of you. And I was like, oh, that seems so great. But it sounds like so much work. Like there's still always a shit sandwich that you have to eat with any option. Oh, right. I'm saying it is helpful, right? It is net helpful, but there's still things you got to do. And there's something else. This is so qualitative. I'm just trying to find the words for it. It can to something that I said earlier that at least with Chinese providers of services, it's not just I pay you and you do this. There's that community orientation where, for example, even the lady who there's a mom on Mercer Island, Chinese mom, she cooks food for some families for fun. She just loves cooking. So we order food from her. We pay, obviously. Well, like, I know, but she sounds like awesome. Like, right, exactly. And she's even from my home province. So we order food from her on Mondays. You think, oh, that's straightforward. You just go and pick up the food. But she's very chatty and she loves to share information and like all this stuff. She even bought my daughter's like pajamas for, I didn't have her to, obviously. She was like, this is a gift. I'm like, now there's a debt, like in Asian culture. Like, yes, it's a gift to you, but now I feel like I have to give something back to her. So even something like that requires, and I don't mind. She's a nice person. I like the community building, but I think this is something where maybe a lot of men don't appreciate or the person who's not doing this sort of interfacing with the providers is that it's not just you hire somebody and you fire somebody, especially when it touches your children and the household, you're actually creating a network. Kind of like what Jeanette was saying earlier, she's now like built a network of these caregivers. And so have I, like after three and a half years, we have some wonderful babysitters, some wonderful like people who live nearby who are willing to help. But that took effort. That didn't happen because I paid somebody an hourly wage to do a job. That happened because I spent a lot of time on WeChat jibber-jabbering. I bought like gifts. I've done a lot of things for these people for free. Like our babysitter, her daughter's at UW studying computer science, but doesn't know how to find a job. So we had them over for hot pod because I want to be helpful because our babysitter has been great. Like Nerve sees this stuff happening. But I don't think he registers in his mind the sheer amount of emotional energy and time and thinking around this. And I think the similar things maybe would happen in English too. I don't know, because I only just generally deal with Chinese providers. You guys tell me, since you guys mostly deal with English speaking providers, but I don't want to, I hesitate to say cost because I, I kind of enjoy it too. But I just want to be appreciated for the fact that I made the effort to build this up for us so that we have so much backup care and a community, but it took a fucking lot of effort, you know? Yeah, I hear you, girl. I hear you because sometimes I'm like, 
should we move? Should we go somewhere else? Marvin's like, oh, why? We have such great neighbors. They've been there for us. Da, 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 da. You know how many words he's ever said in totality to any <laughs> of our neighbors? I'm going to guess eight. Eight total words. Okay. Hi, 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 and hi. <laughs> I think once he was, it was snowing and he was skiing on the road. And then they were like, oh, how's it going? And he's like, good. That's one word. <laughs> and I was fascinated by his comment that he felt some type of attachment to our neighbors. When it's like, oh. he's never really met them. It's really me doing all the potlucking or the, you know, sharing of things or asking them for help and just hanging out and giving them gifts, right? And of course, I like it, but it is on me, right? And so like when we were in a jam, once our basement floor flooded while I was on tour and no one was home and I came home to a flooded basement and I had two hours to catch a train to Vancouver, my neighbor came and helped and like rotated the humidifiers and fans and drove me to Home Depot to rent it in his big truck. It was amazing. And it was like, my husband has never been a part of any of that, of like, how do we take care of the house when our partner cannot? And all the small actions that build up to what we define as community. So I'm sitting here thinking about this going like, yeah, they just don't take on that labor and it's really on us. And then like, they benefit immensely from it, but they don't know the true cost. There's one thing there. But I'm going to say something really controversial and I'm going to turn up the heat on this conversation. Yeah. Where... It. I'm wondering, do we just have too high of expectations and care too much? I think when it's like Marvin's day to take care of art on the weekend where I'm going to be out for four hours or whatever, kid has his eyeballs are glued to the TV. I have to like remove the pupils when I come back, you know, like peel off his eyes off the TV. <laughs> Marvin's like standard care. He was fed. He didn't pee on himself. He's fine. And I sit there, I go, that's what you guys did for four hours? And I try to rush back because I didn't want to inconvenience the family. And I'm like, why am I rushing back to this? No one cares I'm back. And so I kind of wonder with all of this where when we get frustrated of not having enough help or like feeling really tired, like how much is it that we have this expectation that like childhood should be so great for them? Or, you know, I want the holidays to have this like really great moment. Are we trying too hard? No. Can we make our lives easier for ourselves? Okay, I got pantry moths. I think you guys got pantry Wait, what? moths. What's that? Moths, M-O-S-S? Mm -hmm. They're like these little moths that love oh, to moth. eat. Oh, moths, M-O-T-H. M-O-T-H. Yeah, yeah, okay, yes. My mom has gotten those. My yes, sometimes knows. I wonder, do I care so much? Does it really matter that this surface is sticky? Do I really need to make it unsticky every single fucking day? Because nobody else seems to fucking care. But you know what? Ants fucking care, okay? Insects care. Does it really matter that I don't leave this packet of crackers just open in its original packaging and I put it away in a Tupperware? No humans may care in my household, but ants care and pantry moths care. Okay. I will say this because yeah, sometimes I ask myself this question and this is related actually somewhat tangentially. It's like also when you get people to help you, Will they do things in the same way that you would do them, right? So that is mm. its own thing. Also very controversial. So bougie to say, right? But let's table that for now. I have asked myself the question, am I just getting myself like overly worked up because I seem to want to have the standard of cleanliness that nobody else is aiming towards? But I will say, no, I don't think I am. I don't want to gaslight myself and say I am like caring to a degree that's totally unreasonable and I am the one making my life miserable and this is all self-inflicted. No, I don't. Think I, I just wanted us to consider. No, it. no, because I will say this because this is true. Okay. We got a round of pantry moths probably in our previous place like two years ago. And guess where it was fucking from? Okay. Somebody had left a packet of half-eaten treats and decided they will have self-control. And so they threw it into the back of the cabinet, but then forgot about it. And then I noticed these moths flying around our kitchen. I was like, where are these coming from? I started investigating because really that's apparently my job. And I find a nest of pantry moth larvae growing in this half-open bag of things that was forgotten. Okay, oh, so don't up. fucking tell me that I am being crazy because I need to look through all the cabinets every once in a while. And, you know, and then we also had the round of ants. 
Like I probably threw out half the things in our pantry three times and it probably took me four hours each time to go through every fucking thing and clean it up and vacuum the whole thing, wipe it down with vinegar. Okay, who else is going to do that? It's either like we live with pantry moth and ants and we just accept that we're going to have this ongoing infestation or we put in the effort to try to maintain a home where it's not attractive to pests. So sorry, I'm getting very angry now. I resonate with that. Yeah. I appreciate your question, Susan. And I'm not saying that sometimes maybe we may stress ourselves extra more than necessary because, you know, I feel like my child really needs to learn this thing right now or have exposure to this thing. And it's not the end of the world if they don't get it right now. But I think in most things, no, I am not making my life unnecessarily difficult and I'm the one torturing myself. No, this stuff needs to happen. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to leave it at that. And the other thing I want to say is that back to this idea of what Jeanette was saying, what women do traditionally or by default is not valued, right? So I think about, for example, a lot of the stuff that my husband does, right? Yes, he is a main point person for our accountant. By default, he does the budgeting and all of that, right? And everybody recognizes that as a value. That's real work. But everything that we've just talked about, which is building this community for our kids, finding care providers, all of this stuff, I think most women, not most women, I don't want to say that, many women, and certainly I would say probably more men than women, wouldn't see that as real work. And I have a theory as to why, which is I think for a lot of men, they probably grew up in households with traditional gender roles so that their moms were the ones doing this stuff behind the scenes that they never saw. And they would, would see what their dads did, though, because what the dads do seems more visible. I think that's just something they've absorbed growing up. And so I feel like our older generation, especially, I think, Asian immigrants who are maybe more traditional in their gender roles, right? But even I think even white Americans were very traditional, like a generation ago, contributed to that, whether wittingly or unwittingly. And I really struggle with that now because I think a lot of the things that I quibble with my husband over are related to how he was fundamentally raised by his parents. And I don't know how much of that I should expect to change. Do you see what I'm going from? I'm having a hard time maybe articulating this correctly. I'm not trying to blame him, but I'm trying to take a step back and just coldly observe the facts. Like my husband grew up in a family where his mom was mostly a stay-at-home mom. She did all the cooking. She did a lot of the housework. His dad actually does load the dishwasher and stuff like that. But, you know, it's very traditional role in that way. And I've mentioned this before. It's one of my favorite things to say. Nerv hates it. I hope he doesn't listen to this episode. I remember the time his mom was like, oh, well, like, Nerv is too busy studying to do housework, basically. And Nerv was like, yeah, but Kate got into Harvard. So, like, her mindset behind that is, oh, of course my son, only child, should just be doing real work, a.k.a. studying. I don't need him to do this other stuff. You know, and I don't know, like I'm at this point now where why does she also not call what she's doing real work? Exactly. Well, that's the thing, right? I don't think she thinks what she's doing is work either. What is going on? Is she just like right. lying down and the dishes are like carrying no, themselves in washer? She runs a good household. So but I'm just saying, I feel like sometimes I feel so hopeless that it's mm. so deeply rooted that there's no way of changing that. I don't know. Do you guys feel that way sometimes? Yeah, I sometimes. Like I'm like, this stuff is very deep-rooted. And because I am the lead parent in our relationship, I also have fears that I'm perpetuating this, you know, to my own kids. Yeah, I don't know. I would say, though, that there's been improvement over time. You know, so Jake and I have been together for, I don't know, what is it, 2023? So, well, we've been dating for 20 years. and We've been married for 17 or something, 16. Oh and I God. would say like over time, there has been improvement. I think especially with parenthood just being such more of a forcing mechanism, I have seen him pick up more of the household stuff and be more open to my feedback of how I feel like things should be done. Like I've just been telling him it's actually not helpful for me if you mm -hmm. do it, but then I have to go back and do it again because this pot is still dirty. I'm not going to put that pot back in the cabinet because it still has like if I wipe my finger on it there's like grease there. so wait, wait so then what do you do there are you just like I just do pots no I, I've just been sometimes telling him like Jake I think we've both kind of come to a point where it's let's try not to make this emotional but this pot needs to be washed again mm -hmm. like it just needs to be washed again if you actually want it to be helpful to me then you have to do it again it has to be done with hot water and plenty of soap and then it needs to be rinsed well because what happens is if you put a half-washed thing along with clean things, those other clean things get dirty too. Because then you just have to do it again. Like, it's just not 
helpful. And I don't know if this is the kind of recognition that Jake wants, honestly, publicly, but I actually see change in him from even five years ago before we had kids. Like, I feel like he is more open to my feedback without becoming defensive. He actually does more and his like up to skill level. I'm not saying it's perfect at all. I still feel like we have plenty to talk about and discuss both for him and I. But I feel like on this dimension, I have seen a real responsiveness that I really appreciate and a willingness to acknowledge what I do. Yeah, the same thing. Like, remember our neighbors' names. If they bring us something, they show like reciprocation, organize get togethers with our neighbors, those types of things like you guys are talking about. I do feel like he is more, um, like, I feel more like seen and recognized and acknowledged and really at the core of it that's more than half of what I would like because I do still feel like this type of work is important to me I want to know my neighbors if ever shit goes down with my kids I want there to be someone I can call and so it's not like I don't think this work is meaningful or worthwhile but I also don't want it to be invisible so really 60 70 percent of what I want is not for somebody else to do it but for somebody just to be like I see you doing it I see that it requires skill level and diligence and I appreciate that you did it yeah, that is not my partner's strong suit. Same. I, I was just about to say, yeah. yeah. I was just like, yeah. I feel like I always have to prompt him to appreciate me and then it kind of dilutes it. Yeah, it sucks when you'd be like, can you please say thank you for this? Thing? Yeah, no, it's more than. Right. Well, let me give you a funny example of this because I do almost all the cooking, right, for the family. And the other day I made a dish called Lomo Saltado. It's a Peruvian yeah, Chinese dish. Everybody loved it. Okay. So Nero was like, he's, oh, this is so good. This is so good. And then a few days later, I was really annoyed with him. I was like, see, you don't appreciate me. Even when I made food that you like, Lomo Saltado, you just said it's so good, but you didn't say thank you for making this food. Whereas I would like to say that because he makes us breakfast now, I don't do it every day, but I try to remember to do it at least a couple times a week in front of the kids. When we all sit down for breakfast, I'll say, thank you, Baba, Dad, for making breakfast. Even if, you know, the kids aren't eating it because, you know, sometimes they're picky or whatever. And it's more or less the same couple things every day, but he does it, right? And so he just thought I was being picky. He's like, oh, well, of course it's implied that, oh, your Lomo Saltado is delicious. Of course it's implied that I'm thankful. And I'm like, I know, but it's important to me that it's not just implied. It's important to me that you thank me, especially in front of our kids, so they can understand. And he was just like kind of annoyed with me. And he also was like, he was like, well, that's not really my strong suit, as we know. And I'm like, okay. And then he's working on it with his therapy and all that stuff. But I just, I guess I felt like kind of hurt by that. Yeah, it is a small thing. But I think I agree with Jeanette is that it's not just that I do all this stuff. I'm fine doing a lot of it because I know I do it better. And it's like a fact. But I just because I do it better doesn't mean I don't want appreciation. Yeah. And also like somebody needs to do it. Right. And I think many parents and moms, it's meaningful for us to contribute to our family and do the things that we feel like our kids need, our family needs. But it's like we just don't want to do it. You know, it's like a tree fell in the forest and nobody heard. It just fell. You know what I mean? I, I think. The thing for me in many situations is I just want somebody to say, oh, yeah, thank you for doing this. Like sometimes, you know, you see these posts on Instagram and I feel like it's interesting. Once you have to start kind of outsourcing this stuff, there's more of a recognition like, well, this stuff just didn't get magically done. Somebody actually had to put in time and effort into doing it. And some of it you can't even get other people to do. Who's going to get to know your neighbors on their on your behalf, right? You can't outsource. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to sign up for TaskRabbit <laughs> for someone to get to know my neighbors. Yes. I was on Instagram the other day and it was like a mashup of all these Oscar Golden Globe speeches and everyone just it was just like I want to thank my mom 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 and all these different people just kept saying mom 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 and I just started falling because it's like have you ever heard someone be like I want to thank my dad it's true <laughs> now that you mentioned it it's true right and it was just like just acknowledgement of mom thank you for all these sacrifices mom thank you for being by me mom yeah it is a thankless not glorious job to be a mom but I listened to that speech and I was just sobbing and I felt like there is this acknowledgement that these Oscar winning actors are telling me which is they remember how much their mom gave to them and so it's kind of hard we're not just a mom right we're like also just ourselves and then a partner and a daughter and we're a career woman we're all these other things and I think maybe that's the hard thing is like this role is such an act of love and it's so invisible and it's so all-consuming. And then it's like, but wait, my life also has all these other things too. 
And maybe that's where the juggle is. And then the heartbreak is where why can't they just say, I gave you the simple feedback of the grease on the pot or no, I, I want the appreciation to be, look like this in front of the kid. Can you just remember that next time? Right. It's like I don't have trouble advocating for myself. I can say in the explicit ass. But when it kind of gets dismissed over and over again, and yet I'm holding all these other plates, that's where the eruption of the emotion comes from, right? It's just like, but wait, can't you just see everything else that I was doing? And this was my one ask. I think maybe that's where the heartbreak is not feeling seen and heard by the people you need it most from. Maybe that's the disappointing thing. Mm. Maybe we should have a whole episode on just appreciation. Because, yeah, I don't know. Where does that defensiveness or just that reluctance come from, right? I think that's also a very interesting question. We could just have a whole episode where we just appreciate each other. <laughs> I'll just well, tell you all the things I appreciate about you. There's a Instagram account called Coop de Ferris. I don't know if you, any of you oh, guys yeah, follow Grace. it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She draws cute things. Yeah, she draws cute little mom cartoons. But one of her favorite recurring series is like Mom Awards or Thank You for Mom. And she draws these little monsters. She calls them momsters. And it's like, oh, you pack my lunches so perfectly. You always remember to bring my jacket. You always ask me if I need something to drink. You always keep me hydrated. All these things that moms do, but like totally are unacknowledged. And maybe hopefully our kids one day when they are grown up and doing something, we will feel appreciated by them. And and in their own little way, they often do. But the fact of the matter is sometimes I feel like my kids at this age, in some ways, they're like deranged. Deranged? Yeah. You're like putting so much into this little person who is mentally not all there yet. Squirrel. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like, I hate you right now. You know, so it's just nice to have some additional appreciation and acknowledgement from the other grownups in your life. Yes. Yeah. All right. So that's our episode on getting and losing help. The stigma, the sadness, the loneliness of it all. Uh, No inside thoughts today? Well, I was... Okay, you have a choice. My real insight thought, honestly, is what's the youngest that you would ask for a babysitter for your kids that are five and under? Like, You mean the age of the babysitter? Yeah, yeah. What age and like how much are you paying them? Because like I I need to be three deep right now and I'm sitting there going, oh, help me. Show me the way. So that's my real insight Mm. thought. And the other one was like we could do affirmations of each other. But, you know, who needs to hear that? Let's do babysitters for now. I mean, and also I feel like this is very specific to the Seattle market, right? If you are in other places, like I think in San Francisco, it probably could cost more, but in other areas of the country, it could cost significantly less. I think that for kids five and under, it also depends on the person, right? But I think that for me, the cutoff is at least like 22 or 23 years old. Yeah. And then if they're that young, then they would need some other really strong references from other families or experience like having worked with children in the past as a nanny or at a daycare center. I think that would probably be like what I would want. So that would kind of be, I would probably look for that in any person, but yeah, 23, 24 is probably the um, mid for me. What rate are you paying? Ooh, um, $35 an hour. What? Yeah. Oh, because you have two kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the standard. Yeah. Damn. That's the market here in Seattle. Oh, my God. Kate, what about you? Yeah. I mean, similarly, I think it's about experience, personality, how the kids respond. I definitely would do a trial. I feel like now with the kids, it's tricky. I think for kids under the age of three, it's a little tricky. Like now, yeah. Raya's almost four. I feel yeah. like, eh, like a 16-year-old could handle her. It's not that bad. But yeah, I feel like with two and like especially with a kid under three, I prefer that person at least be in their mid-20s. And have pretty considerable experience because Leela is in the middle of her big emotions right now. And I feel like a teenager who can probably sorting through their own emotions is going to have a hard time managing a 20 month old's, you know, emotions. Right. And do they have the capacity to make mac and cheese on their own or whatever? Oh, that's fine. I, you know, I always cook the food for the babysitter. Babysitting for us is so easy. It's like the easiest $35. Well, okay, not the easiest $35, but I cook the food ahead of time. I prep everything. I even prep the pajamas and the diapers or whatever. So basically the person just has to come and like administer and hang out with the kids, put the kids to bed sometimes. Oh my God. I know. Okay. Well, I'm cheaper over here. What I do is the people who used to be the home daycare folks for art, they let me drop them off at their house for 20 bucks an hour. They feed him dinner. If I give them PJs, he'll be back in PJs with me. I come back when I come back. Well, that's also because they don't have to travel to your house. Oh yeah. Fair. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's across the street from my house. But you're right. But I just feel like it's just easier that way for them. And then we used to be a part of the YMCA, but they'd have a parents' night out. And so it'd be like maybe $33 for three hours. Oh. Um, so $11 an hour. And then, but the thing is, it's like from 5 to 8 p.m. and they don't let you bring food for your kid to eat. So you have to like kind of feed your kid earlier. I mean, I'm just always like, why? I understand nut allergies, but can I just let them have access to his lunch bag? So that's kind of weird, but it's a monthly thing that I can do. And then there's like a jungle gym, like a bouncy jungle gymnastics thing. And then they have it like every other Friday. But that's better if like Art has a friend that is also going to. And then they have pizza, movie, and three hours of jungle gym. And that's all $40. Yeah. I mean, you're, this is like not apples to apples, right? Because I think that that's like group care. And I think that those could work really well. Yeah. And what I'm telling you is, yeah, I'm not three deep. And so I'm only using this group care because I don't even know. Hey, after all this, after we're feeling really tired and resentful of becoming mothers, who is it on to organize date night? And then you have to go find the care and pay for it and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then go somewhere. And like reasonably enjoy yourself before you have to go back to it all. But anyways, I just wanted to outline that there's other options, but I do need babysitters. So Seattle babysitters, let me know you exist. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for another episode of Model Minority Moms. Bye, ladies. Bye. Bye. We hope you found something helpful, reassuring, or interesting in this episode of Model Minority Moms. If you enjoyed the episode, please help us spread the word by texting a friend about our show or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to connect with us, please visit our website at modelminoritymoms.com or follow us on Instagram where we love receiving messages from our listeners.